This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of having Dr. Andrew Leong from U and Associates on the podcast for today. We're going to be talking about his career journey, how he ended up as a geotechnical engineering principal and managing principal. We're also going to be talking about innovation within geotechnical engineering. We're going to be talking about Andrew's leadership style and just a whole bunch of nuggets that he's learned throughout his career. I always enjoy talking with him, and I think you'll see why when we get into this episode. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I'm excited to be bringing you another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. Before we go on here, I would like to take a minute to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Menard USA. Do you have projects where you are faced with building on soft or loose ground? Does it seem like all the good sites are taken and you're always building on poor soils that are a challenge for conventional foundation approaches? Menard may be able to help. As a specialty ground improvement contractor, Menard works nationally and internationally providing design-build ground improvement solutions at sites with problematic soils. Typical projects include warehouses, buildings, material storage piles, embankments, roadways, port facilities, storage tanks, platforms, and more. In many cases, ground improvement is less costly than traditional approaches such as removal and replacement or piling systems, Menard works closely with civil, structural, and geotechnical engineers to minimize foundation costs for wide ranges of soil conditions, structure types, and loading conditions. To learn more about Menard USA or for help on your next project, please visit www.menardusa.com. That's www.menardusa.com. Welcome to the show, Andrew. How are you doing? Great. I just did a direct import, and I just come back from to the state. I was in Asia for a couple of weeks. All right. Well, it would be great if you could set the stage for us here, for our listeners, share a little bit about your background, and think back, why did you want to get into geotechnical and environmental engineering? Tell us. And I say tell us because I know you're such a great storyteller, so I'm excited to hear your response. I'm originally from Hong Kong. I left Hong Kong at 16 years old. At that time, to tell you a little bit of background, I came in from a school, it's a Chinese school. We can speak Chinese very well, read Chinese very well, but English is very difficult at the beginning. After I did my, my high school, and my parents found that, well, it is a kid that's not so smart, and for him to get to a university in Hong Kong may be tough. So I say, well, why don't I put this kid to someplace else and let him learn English and, and do something else. So at 16, I would, was let go to London, UK. I have two bags and I have rice cooker too at that time. I went to London and I went to the school and have the notice board and say, well, there's a tag there. Is it someone renting a single room? I pull a tag down and then buy myself an A to Z and then walk over there and ask Landy, you have a room for rent? So yeah. It cost me eight pounds per week. So that's how I got settled down. 
a 16. At the time, I didn't know what I'm going into. The first week, it didn't hit me. The second week, I said, wow, I want to go home. That is not exactly what I anticipated. So I wrote a lot of snail mail back to him, back home. And after three months, I got a conversation and called my father. And he said, I make a mistake. I'm sorry. I sent you out too early. Now, should you want to come back and restart next year? It's okay. And I say, no. I met so many people in the factory in school. And I got along with many people. Many people helped me out. I get adapted to it. At the time, I was living in Acton in the west side of London. They are students with a lot of people from South Asia, from Indonesia, Malaysia, and many other places. So I get along well. And that's how I started. The get-go was difficult, but right after that, I focused on studying most of the time. Throughout the time when I did my schooling in, in London, uh, my high school did okay, and I get along, and I managed to, all my college career, I did not get any Bs. That's bad. I can tell you why it's bad. I was critical to myself. I want to earn everything that I can have in school, including my first degree. At one time, I say, well, there are three prizes at the end of the three-year career in London, and I want to get them through. Usually, that would get distributed to three individuals. If they broke my record, I got two. But inside my thinking, is bad, though. And I was keep on having these challenges. I want to get them all. I want to get them all. And I was challenged. But I have a lot of good friends, though. Okay, I only challenge myself. I didn't look at to compete with others, and I want to do the best. But however, in parallel, it developed a very different thinking that I want to get all that too much. Then and I kind of lost of not always want to get the best, including when I first went to UIUC. And after graduate, I get an opportunity to be an exchange scholar from London to UIUC. And my first step, I got into Professor Nursery. And he said, well, why do you want to be a geotechnical engineer? I say, well, that is one of the two favorite subjects that I, I like, geotechnical and tropic engineering, but I select geotechnical engineering. And say, well, what do you want to do in UIUC? I want to finish my master in one year, and I want to finish my PhD in three years. All right, you know what you're getting into? It took Professor Pack five years to finish his PhD. You think you, you get better than Professor Pack? That was back in the face. And the first out exams I got for Professor Mercery, I got 82 of 100. And he immediately walked over to me and said, Andrew, what do you get? I said, 82. Oh, that's a B. That's a solid B. Not A, though. <laughs> and then he looked at my curriculum. I said, I took tennis lessons. I took swimming lessons. And the first week I got to Illinois, I bought a car. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> no, well, I tell you, that is, I was in cloud nine. I thought that I have the best. I was very good. No, N-O, no. And I'm glad that Professor Cording took me on like a little kid, okay? He bring me out to many site visits and I saw how he work. And I owe him a lot. Other stories that I can tell you about Professor Cording, how he did it to me too. But the lessons after that seven years, when I first start work, we were client consultant. It was one of the best offers I have in Houston. After one year, oil embargo come, 1982 at the end of 82. Oil price from $10 to $40 or $38 rather, and down to 10 The company go into 60% layoff. And I was one of them. 
Now, despite all that, the next day I called up another firm that I interviewed and say the job is still for you after about a year. And I give you a raise too. That was Joseph Warren Associate in New Jersey at the time. I took on that job and I start thinking about what's wrong with me. I find that reason. I was not concentrating on learning. You're in cloud nine. You thought you had the best. That's the first failure you had to receive. And it was devastating to me. And I do not mind to tell my staff about it too. When you're in cloud nine, you thought you're so comfortable. Be careful. I start doing a habit of, I start to work at 8.30, at 4.30, before the half an hour end of the work. And I always ask my advisor what things I can do tomorrow. And to give me assignments, I always complete a night. The next day, the advisor see what I did. He didn't say a word. I keep on doing it for three months. There were words in the office. Andrew's nuts. Andrew's workaholic. Andrew's work for free. Now, that doesn't bother me. I keep on going. And then my advisor sent me to classes, then sent me to seminar. And together, we wrote two papers in electrical engineering right in the first year. I was enjoying the time. And he taught me one-on-one -on -one many shortcuts in geotechnical engineering and structurality, among other things. So that's how I got into my first failure in my career. But through that, I'm glad that it took, it was at the beginning of my career. I did not stay on cloud nine. In hindsight, I look back and say, that is the best thing that I've ever done to me. That's why I carry a habit. In terms of a lot of time on hiring, I would carry a principle that A's will hide the A's and the B will hide the C's. I do not hide 4.0. Because I only hire 4.0 with experience of failure. Now, that's what happened in geotechnical engineering. Geotechnical engineering is about case study, about failure, about what things you can learn, what's the lessons learned. I got my first lesson learned when I was 22 years old. And it was, you like it or not, it was tough at a time. At least I fell fast and fell forward. I would not take me down. And I keep on going with my career. And that was biggest lessons I learned. And then I keep on going with it and keep on changing my the style and the way that I work. And the first seven years about my transformations of from high school into getting into the right training and to be a geotechnical engineer. And then after seven years of practice as a geotechnical engineer, I went to a seminar and it was a led to engineering seminar in Lehi. I met some uh, principal terms and say, well, we would like to try out environmental engineering. I say, well, I never done it before, but I see when you ask questions about environmental engineering, I think you can try it and say, okay, all right, I'll, I'll try it. So I get into environmental engineering at a time. So my first seven years at geotechnical, second seven years at environmental, and my third seven years was probably at the time my management skill was bad. So my advisor say, well, why don't you go and get some management training? So I got into the Exact 21 class organized by Pauli and uh, learned from many great leader. At the time, the most of the retired CEO teach uh, taught in their class, like Henry Michelle, Albert Mew, at Turner. And um, that I received a lot from them. That's how I evolved in, into management too. So in terms of technical engineering, I love geotechnical engineering and lay out the foundation. There's a lot of parallel between geotechnical engineering and management. It's about change. 
about anticipating change. When people ask you when you can finish up the hole, I say, I don't know. I'll tell you when I get there. I don't know what's I got, what's the next step. I'll tell you when I get there. Now, that's about the difference between geotechnical and environmental. And environmental is a lot more about preparations, planning, regulatory. Geotechnical is about, yeah, anticipated change. If something changed to you, okay, take it well and respond to it. So I enjoy every single second about practices at, at, at geotechnical engineer. Honestly, if there's somebody listening that does not know about geotech or doesn't want to be at geotech after hearing you speak, it's like, you know what? I need to give that a shot. It's great to just hear the evolution of like, I don't know what I want to do to knowing what I want to do. And just this concept of failure and what to do with failure. And I think you're right that if you've never experienced failure or hardship, the first time you experience it, it could be overwhelming and you don't want to be a part of that. So we should not be afraid of failure. Some senses we should be able to embrace it and learn from it, or as they say, fail fast, right? And have a good resiliency of it. After you have the failure, you start changing the way you deal with things and get another step up. And that's how it should be. If you, after you fail, you fail the second time the same way, it's not going anywhere. Yeah, you're not learning. It's a resiliency on it. Okay. So it's a, you had to make, sure is a transformative resiliency that you transform to another way of handling it. That part is very important. So as the president and managing principal of you and associates, you talk a little bit about your management style and also how has that contributed to your firm's success? I would call it it's day to day. Our environment also changing. And I think when you ask about my leadership style, I mean, we all carry certain part of, of our intrinsic training. A lot of time I talk to my staff about, you can divide the three part of training in your life until you're 21. The first seven years about you grow physically, your parents give you food and you go bigger. The second seven years you learn from parents, how they act, how they respond, and that also considered training on your emotional intelligence. It's about your EQ. In 14 to 21, you're getting into IQ. Learn from school. Learn from the mathematics, the basics, and get a professional training to do the things that you would like to do. Now, after that, everything that we use, what you learned in all the three generations, seven years. If you ask me, what is my management style? It depends on the circumstances. I carry a number of style, but it could be coaching, it could be a democratic style, it could be, let's say, if I don't have the time to explain, then I, it could be a pace setting style, and also could be um, a lot of democratic style. I mean, I usually would put a, a good a story to my staff about a tree story. A tree story is go like this, is you can go, let the people go from A to B, that of original A to go to B. You can tell the people, people, Go, don't ask any questions. Just go and move on quick. It's a pace setting style. It's a way that is authoritarian, okay? You can also say, people, pick up everything. Your luggage, the ground is wet. Be careful and walk slowly and go from A to B. It's a little bit of micromanaging. You teach them what to do. And you can also say to people, we get to go to from A to B. It's bound to rain. We don't want to get wet. Now, at B... We have an apple tree there. We can sit down in the apple tree 
and have approached there too. So it would be a bit more persuasive in getting people to get to there. But I use all styles. But it, intrinsically, it boils down to my, my own, my own, but my bricks. Okay. My own, what things that you naturally add. And the area that I do not do well probably is, would be the coercive style of pushing on. I found that people naturally move forward would be the very natural way. So that would be my style. But whether it's a success or not, it depends on how you define it. And I do enjoy all my staff, working with all my staff. Day to day, you see them have a happy phase of what they do, enjoy what they do. That tell me a lot about will carry through a lot of journey. There. And that's how my career worked too. I remember my mentor say, Andrew, go home. Don't hang around here. This place is no good for you. Get out. And it is very much for me. I mean, you know that I, I was there in the office for a little bit. So it depends. There's no size, one size fit all. It's so much of it is ties back to the situation you're in, how much time you have, who you're in front of, how much experience they have. And so as a leader, you have to be able to kind of know the room and be able to adjust as needed. But I think that the tree story is a great way to pick it, right? <laughs> so thank you for that. You think about your firm, I mean, I understand you, you are a leading firm in Geotech, Environmental, Site, Civil. You know, what are some of the things about your firm's culture and values that have been helpful for the organization? And, and how have you been a part of making sure that culture stays what it needs to be or evolves as it needs to evolve? That kind of brings me into a little bit about the history of the firm that I was involved in. I remember that in speaking about that, I'd be initially it's a technical engineer and the environment engineer, and they and say my management skills no good, and they send me to school. That occurred at the fourteen years after I've been with Thames. At that time, there's a class. It's about leadership management, and that class impacted me the most. That it would be a lot of self reflection about who you are and what you want to do. And during that class, I went through a lot of thinking about what made to be who I am now and what I want to go forward. And I said to myself, I would like to form in organizations that move like an amoeba, but also have a very much a collaborative culture and each one helping each other to move forward. At the time, amoeba is a transformative I want to move, I would have the intelligence move like me, but engineering is something that we have the intelligence, we can, we can be the best of what we, what we can be. I want to design a culture that the people with, a, with an attitude of, we are partners, we work partnering, and then also we'll help each other out and uh, we'll have mutual respect and caring. And the relationship, appreciations and appreciative, and then with high integrity within the group. And also do the best what we can do and have the best understanding of our client. And that's something that we also work on it too. In contrary, in some, as I see that human nature have so much differences. There are people that are extremely competitive. I can kill you or you'll be killed. That's something that I try to avoid. It's important to know that each of us, geotechnical engineering is so wide. There's a lot of things in it. There are Earth pressure, slope stability, bearing capacity, instrumentation, seismics. But you can you name it. You could be very good in one area, but you can learn other part from another person's. And that's what sharing is. If we can share all the knowledge, we'll be moving like amoeba. 
I'm good in certain area. You asked me to sit down and at the time it, it was Hendren, Professor Hendren. He said, I can do this slope stability in 15 minutes and give you a factor safety. At the time, he's not really, he was asking about the deflection of the shit pile. He was doing in front of the judge. He did it in front of the judge. In 15 minutes, he gave an approximate deflections of the shit pile. And I can also tell you that I can do factor safety for subsidiary in 15 minutes. And that's what area I do that I'm still good at. I will respect other area that I will learn from it too. There's a limit challenge. Today we talk about AI and how AI being applied in geotechnical engineering. One had to admit, geotechnical engineering is the most sophisticated area in adopting, using computer making judgment, but it can be done. That this subject has been talked about in MIT for many, many years already. The fact that we, use many empirical correlations and modeling among such is part of the AI that we want to. So we are good. We're good. And we're familiar with this. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. We should be very proud of our career and professions. I do remember at one time in Hong Kong, that's in Hong Kong, financial market have a very high demand on people. They went to civil engineering department in Hong Kong University to hire. So that was JP Morgan. Because Engineering, no modeling, good in mathematics. The major things between the economist and the engineer is economists do, but didn't have a factor safety. And the engineer always designed with a factor safety. So there's a different understanding. You see, in the financial market, there's no factor safety. That means if you fail, you fail. No cushion, no margin, right? It's <laughs> And at least we can call it, okay, our factor safety is 1.5 for this slope. So within that, we'd be okay. So when you think about geotechnical and environmental engineering, we work on very complex projects. What are some of the insights into the challenges and innovations in our fields? You could do geotech or environmental. Let's focus on geotech, actually. You head to that AI and machine learning. What are some of the innovations you're seeing? Geotechnical engineering is a little more complex compared to other engineering. And it talk about the feeling, the thinking, and also the changes. And for people who study geotechnical engineering, they should be more, a little bit more adapted to change. Also, would love to do things differently. They ask me, okay, you have this loading and you have this soil. There are many, a number of methods that you can analyze settlements to. They, you can compare different way of looking at stress, different looking at the bosonic or, or using all kinds of things. In terms of innovations, it's about what things are coming to us. I was involved in talking to people or getting some information in Hong Kong or in other Asia, part of Asia about AI. And it's quite interesting that the application of AI to allow us to predict, I'll give you an example, hurricane coming. And if all my slope is being monitored with all the instrumentations, and I can tell you, should that place will require evacuation based on the size of the storm coming in? I will predict that that X amount of storm surge is coming in. And do I need evacuations based on the predictions that I have many slope? And for instance, in Hong Kong, there are many, many buildings are constructed on slope, right next to a marginal safety slope in the, in the old days. Okay. But now, of course, in today's, they're using many different uh, ways to monitor the slope. 
and deliver a good predictions and a limited amount of failure associated with it. There is a limited future. I think for AI to take over geotechnical engineer judgment, it still have some time to go. There will be some future about geotechnical engineering that there will be some portion of it adopted in AI, but it will be efficient, quick answer, but other judgment. And it depends on what problem that you are tackling. Innovation is something that we should not be afraid of. And like you say, as geotechs, we should embrace that. We should be okay with change. And you raise a really good point. We start thinking about engineering judgment. Engineering judgment is something that you can't really model, right? It's something that really comes from experience. So. One of my favorite questions, a lot of time I talk to the uh, younger generations, are uh, several things, including the music they enjoy. Where they play instruments. Music is, in fact, is a form of innovations, an art form, painting, musics, creativity, innovative thinking. That's all among that is also embedded in part of the geotechnical engineering training too. There's no one size fit all. There's no one solution. There's always another one. Come on. I got quite a bit of influence with British music. I remember one of the key band, probably a lot of people know about it too, is, is Les Zeppelin's. As they compose Kashmir, okay, they, they put Kashmir in a different style. They, in 1972, they already invited a conductor from Saudi Arabia and musician from India using sitar to mix in in their productions. Now that's called innovations. And recently, about five years ago, when Jimmy Page asked Robert Plant about, can we come back to the band and reproduce? And Robert Plant said, I have nothing new to offer. It says a lot about the artist, about innovation. I enjoy music. I'm talking about something else that's very important for engineers, especially licensed professional engineers. And you being a licensed professional engineer for several states, let's talk about ethics a little bit. When we think about engineering and we think about engineering ethics, what are some of the, let's call them significant responsibilities and ethical considerations that a professional engineer has to think about? We have people that, that tune into the show that are seasoned engineers, decades of experience, but we also have some that are not a PE yet, and we want to make sure they're hearing this, and then those that have just become PEs. So what are some of those considerations that they need to be thinking about? It's one of the very key areas. I can tell you from the get-go, I've always caught uh, my career is a three-part in it, and I call it balance scorecard. Right at the beginning, I focus on the discipline, the engineering, the fundamental. After that, then I focus on project management. And then later on, I focus on how to form a group and, and do business and marketing and all that. Throughout the entire journey, integrity is the most important part. As you go deeper in it, become uh, when you go into managing your business, managing your, your profession, it had to carry a good deal of professionalism in it. And the integrity, that's the most important thing. You want it to say what you what you believe in, and with the understanding that there are many people's lives is on your shoulder. That's the part that civil engineer had to carry. Throughout the journey, when I call it that balance go card, is I had to give this credit to many great leaders that can tolerate me. They did not give up on me. 
there are three people that I respect. The first one is one that who taught me about engineering at right at the beginning. The second one is taught me about management. And the third one is not, he's not an engineer, but I respect him a lot. There are many uh, live learning lessons that I got from him that that also, when these live learning lessons is the key part of it is about our integrity. If I say to Jared, I do not trust you, will I come into this interview? Probably not. There's nothing to talk about yet. There's no conversation. There's no respect. There's no conversations. The integrity, the trusting part is the key to create their respect and then communications. And there are three components. Okay, if we lost our integrity, we don't have any integrity. I'm sure, Jared, you would not like to talk to me. Yeah. You will go away. There's no one-on-one contact. The key here is do not sell short on your integrity. Don't ever do anything with it. Do the right things, get it done right. Well, that's a great counsel. And the thing that's so amazing about it is that, you know, there's no money associated with integrity, right? You don't have to go to school to get integrity. So you have it or you don't have it. Absolutely. There are many things that I did when I was little. And Heisen looking back, I don't like it. For instance, that clown eye behavior, I do not like it. It's not about integrity yet, okay? But there are many things that, that in hindsight, now, I, well, you didn't ask me how old I am, but I'm, I'm very old. But these things that it are very, very important journey. But I would say, even for my staff, when they're young, I would give them higher tolerance because they are still young. They, they need to learn. But they mature, they will learn. For the staff that who's close to my age, it's very difficult. These are difficult to, to change them. But I would give smaller tolerance, okay? Because they should know they've been there. If there's a, any... Any violation of integrity, those are the ones that I would be putting accountable for. What's a piece of advice you would give to a young professional that's just starting a career? So we had advice for people that, that are thinking about going into engineering, thinking about going to geotech. We had advice for somebody that just got the PE, but somebody that's just starting, they just got the undergraduate degree or just got the master's. What's some advice you would give them if they want to make a positive impact on the field of geotechnical engineering? What's some advice you give them when they're starting out? It's difficult. We're living in a changing world. The way that when I got trained, demographic is very different. And I may not be able to apply what I believe in to advise the young generations. But I can quote you something, some someone that I respect very much. I always ask some of my staff to, I mean, very unfortunate the individual passed away two weeks ago. His name is Byron Wynn. I don't know if you heard this name before. It was quite influential in the capital market. In there, I can quote the statements that he made. He said, I can read directly, I have it on the screen here. When silking a career as you come from school or making a job change, always take the job that looks like it will be the most enjoyable. If it pays the most, you're lucky. If it doesn't, take it anyway. Byron. He took a severe pay cut to accept each of the two best offers he ever had. And both of them turned out to be exceptionally rewarding financially in his career. He passed away at 90 years old, but I think it's 2013, right before he walked into a seminar, he was asked by some people, say, uh, Byron, there are many people who respect you. Uh, why don't you put down 
some career learning lessons, and he did. And he put down 20 lessons that he learned. I came across it about five years ago. I say I blew it. I wish that I see that 20 lessons many years ago. Now, in one lesson I would like to share with you, is that younger people are naturally insecure and tends to overplay their accomplishments. Most people don't become comfortable with who they are until they are at 40s. Now, by that time, they can underplay their, their achievement and become a nicer and more likable person. Now, try to do it at that point as soon as possible and be humble to learn. I was one of them. Remember I, the story I told? Being cocky is devastating. I say, well, that's exactly, I'm seeing that as a mirror. That's exactly who I am. And I'm glad that failure occurred early on in my career. That's 20 lessons learned. I always ask my staff, read it loud. Always remember, these are the things that you should know as an engineer with high integrity and also at how to fill in your career and thinking. And he enjoys work. He passed away, unfortunately, at 90 years old. Those 20 lessons, so we can include that in the show notes, because I'm sure people are, I'm going to want to read them. I want to see the other 19. So thank you for that. Many, many great words. All right, well, we're going to take a break and we're going to come to back in just a minute and close this one out with Dr. Luing in our Career Factor Safety In segment. All right, welcome back. It's time for our Career Factor Safety In segment. In geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? Today, of course, we'll speak with Dr. Andrew Leung of You and Associates. Now, Andrew, you already had a very successful career. Now, when you look back at your career, what's something that you've implemented in your career to give yourself, let's call it a factor of safety in your career? My career is filled with fun things. In fact, I failed before. So my factor of safety is less than one. But I can also share with you a story that I went through from 0.99 to 1.8. There was a time in about, I believe it's 1998 or 1999. And I started off with a geotechnical engineer and then environmental engineer. And then I become a project manager managing a land enclosure project for Logan State in New Jersey. It was a career challenge that I never managed a project that had about a good size of design fees in it. And I was exciting about it. But one thing that the project manager from the DOT was asking, you had to completely design by a certain time. And it was right at the get-go, is the summertime. He said, well, you had to do the topographic survey for this landfill. I said, it's in the summer. So you fly over, you immersion, the height of vegetation is under. When you fly over, the whole ground is covered with vegetations. You're all measuring the top of the trees, right? We've quickly figured out a method on the proposal and say, well, you are the surveyor too. After you fly over, you bring that point back to the ground by hand-surveying so that you can do the correction. That's the only way that we can shortcut and meet the schedule of the project. So I did that. And two weeks away from delivery of the entire hydrology design, the ground water, the service water flow and all that structures and 
things that lead to the brain, the food design. The hydrologist asked me a question, say, why these topo are having a couple of feet over the ground? That surveyor did it, deliver to us. Something wrong. I say, ah, the surveyor for, forget to do the corrections. So it was about a week to Christmas. I say, how much delay that we can have? Uh, we will have, we had to do a complete redesign on stormwater drainage. Oh, roughly about four weeks. So that means I will have at least three weeks delay in my submissions. So as on Friday, I call the DOT manager and say, I think the problem we have here is we have a problem with delivery date here. The project manager jump. So the factor safety coming down now. He say, well, I trust on of your firm and you to deliver this project in three weeks to me. Now you're telling me not. I'm not sure that you're on top of it. And your sub did the problem is your responsibility too. You know that. Don't say that you subdid it. Yes, it's true. We forget to look over it. So on that day, and it was two o'clock, at three o'clock, I got another phone call from the CEO. So you know what? I received a call from the manager. Uh, what's wrong with that project, by the way? He asking me to remove you. Now it's 0.99 now, right? I say, uh-oh. And then from that point, at three o'clock, everything turned flat. It was one of the most difficult moments at that night. I say, okay, I had to sleep that night. Next morning, I get back to the office. I say, I had to do something. So on my way coming into the office, on that year was G uh, Ford have a problem on the Explorer. And on the way driving in, I heard this interview from the CEO of Ford. And they say, well, because of this, and our organization is come up with a corrective action plan with Goodyear to look at what things that we can do to avoid different type of out. I The word CAP come to my mind. Corrective action plan. I say, what things, I, how I can correct? So on the Saturday morning, I have my first cup of coffee. From that point, I lay out point by point every single day for the next three weeks, what things we're going to do to get the project back on schedule. One by bottom, it's like bottom up. Every day we do something about it. The fast forward, at the end, we deliver the project two weeks ahead. The situation, it, it was a little bit awkward, but because we are very careful about the QAQC, we even got it a week earlier than what we originally thought it is. And we got the NJDEP approval on the landing closure. At that time, the project manager sent an email back to me. He said, Andrew, I underestimate you. You rebounded back very well. Thank you very much. The department owes you thanks to, to complete this project on time and schedule. The fact is they did at 1.1 right now. I felt good. Now, after I got that email, see that cloud nine come back again? Like, oh, I did it. In about 15 minutes, my conscience kick in and say, Andrew, you did not do it yourself. All the staff are putting a lot of midnight oil to burn the candle for you. So after at the 20 minutes, I sent back an email to him and say, John, thank you very much for the good work, the kind words. But in fact, there are six staff that who work side by side with me for the past two weeks. Some of them didn't even go home at night to complete the schedule, to meet the schedule here. And I think they know we owe them acknowledgement. And I wanted to give you the name and the discipline 
and please CC the email. And John said, yes, for sure. Now this time he sent to all the six staff and also to the CEO of the firm. And I say, good, thanks. Now I can have dinner. That's a factor safety 1.5, right? And after dinner, for that entire night, I have total about 30 email, IM, phone call. And he say, Andrew, I saw the email that John gave about the island project. And I do not mind to burn midnight oil at all. I would love to be on your next project. Now that's at the time is 1.79. I know that they're all motivated. One of my career important point is give the credit where credit is due. One person can only do very little. A group can do many different things all together. Okay. So it's my say 0.99 to 1.8. Okay. Yeah, this is great. Andrew, you've done just a fantastic job of sharing with us so many great insights, so many good lessons, so much great information, and so much good advice. So thank you. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Are you on social media or you want to share your email address so we can put that in the show notes? Yeah, my email address is A-L-E-U-N-G at Y-U hyphen associates with an S dot com. Thank you so much for coming on. This is great. Thank you for the time. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 91, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the very best in all of your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.com dot org.